The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Gwen and Mercy Academy High School, the Sisters of Mercy, or any related affiliate. Attention alumni, the Alumni Association's Young Alumni Committee will be hosting a happy hour for all of our alumni on May 4th from 6 to 8 o'clock at Winnie's in Maniunk. We look forward to seeing you there for a night of mingling and reconnecting at one of our alumna's businesses and supporting her as well. So we hope to see you all out there on May 4th. Hello, and welcome back to the Monarch Impact Podcast. My name is Erin Remel clements I'm a member of the class of 2012 and Gwyneth's Director of Alumni Engagement. My name is Autumn Kerger, and I'm a senior from Gwyneth Mercy Academy High School. Today, we're interviewing Erin Reckner. Erin Reckner is a member of the class of 2014 here at Gwyneth Mercy Academy High School. Here at Gwyneth, she was involved in the theater program. She then attended the Catholic University of America and graduated summa cum laude with a bachelor's degree in psychology and brain science. In her time working towards an undergraduate degree, she also spent a semester abroad to study psychological disorders at the University of Oxford in the UK. Erin then acquired a master's of science from the University College London, studying clinical neuroscience. Through her career, she has, she has worked many roles in the field including ones as an undergraduate research assistant for the University of California's Center for Autism Research and Translation, an honorary contract researcher at the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery in London, and the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, where she worked as a clinical research coordinator. Welcome, Erin. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. Me too. So I just have a few questions for you, but the first one is pretty easy. Um, what made you choose Gwinnett as a high school? Gwinnett was such a clear choice for me. I went to Gwinnett Elementary School and I got to ride the bus with all the girls at Big Gwinnett. And uh, I would hear them talk about their day and they would share so many fun stories. And it just seemed like such a party that I, I couldn't imagine not going. And what really solidified it for me is I went to the shadow day. Um, Shannon Alexander was my older guide and oh, she just showed me the best time. And it was awesome as like a little eighth grader to step off the bus at the high school instead of elementary school and, and just experience all the joy and love that was at Gwinnett. And that really solidified it for me. This is the place that I'm going to spend the next four years. How did the Gwinnett experience change you as a person? I definitely grew so much as a leader and I grew in the confidence that I had in myself and my abilities. I was on student council for all four of the years that I was there, but I remember as a freshman when I was deciding whether or not I should run, I was really apprehensive. I didn't feel like I was good enough, Um, but my classmates were so encouraging and they were, we had only known each other for a few short weeks, but I remember everyone in my homeroom saying, Erin, you have to run. It'll be great. And we all gathered in study hall to give our little speeches of why we should be on student council. And that's such a clear memory for me certainly nervous and like public speaking in front of all of these new classmates that I've never uh, really spoken to in public before, but they were so supportive. And then to be elected, that was just such a vote of confidence. And from there, I really got to grow in, in my leadership skills and having that, um, you know, ability to, to, to make change at the school and to, to work with my peers, to put on events that they were interested in. Yeah, it was just a fantastic experience doing student council. 
That's fabulous. And so that's a great lead in. Uh, in addition to student council, I know that you and I um, had some things in common when we were students. Um, for the listeners, Erin was two years younger than me. Um, and we both did musicals and glee club and all the all that fun stuff. What about kind of like your extracurricular experience like really stuck with you? And you know, what were some of the favorite things to do around campus? Certainly all the things art and music, Erin. I totally remember our all our rehearsals for The Music Man. That was so much fun. I looked forward to rehearsals on even late, late on Sunday nights was absolutely the best memories. Um, I was involved in chorale and glee club and I think anything music related, I was signed up to, to be involved. Uh, I also was um, on the speech and debate team and that was so fun to go to local schools or travel across the country for competitions. I just loved it. I loved all things in that kind of creative interpretive vein. Um, it was fantastic. That was definitely star memories from my time at Gwynedd. Absolutely. And all of those things, you know, being on stage, being on speech and debate, being on student council, like allow you to really, you know, feel comfortable in your skin, speaking in front of other people. I'm sure that helps you kind of now too, um, you know, working with others and, and needing to, you know, communicate effectively too, right? Oh, absolutely. Not only those communication skills, but how to get over a feel of failure or fear of messing up. And, you know, once you have a line flub on stage, you know, it's not a big deal. <laughs> and right. to learn that lesson and uh, is, is just so helpful and, and certainly something that carries over now <laughs> into my day to day. And I, I really look back on that time as I learned those great skills and was able to um, become a more a strong communicator. Um, yeah, all that stuff. And along with those skills that you learned here at Gwinnett, were there any like teachers that really helped you like kind of become the person you are? So many. I don't think I had a teacher who didn't have an impact on me or that I don't look back on with a lot of fondness. Um, in reflecting on specific teachers and, and kind of those specific memories, I remember in Miss Wilson's like world religion class, that was just my first experience with philosophy and ethics and, and thinking about um, more than just our local Montgomery County community, really a global perspective. Um, on ethics and on religion and, and what the lives of people look like across the world. And that really just got me thinking bigger than our community and, and um, thinking about how can I make an impact um, on, a, on a bigger scale. Uh, and then even personally, I, I took Spanish and Miss Lair was absolutely like a, a, one of my favorite teachers. She just made me feel so valued and so heard. And I, I so keenly remember Every Monday, she would ask me specifically how my weekend was, and if she knew I had something going on, she would ask about it. It just felt like she really cared and really um, was so just interested in me personally, other than how am I doing academically. And so I just loved that, that I felt like I had a friend and a teacher as well. Um, every teacher, I just had a, a phenomenal experience. Absolutely. It's so funny. Like so many of the teachers that we had are still here, which I think is really a testament to, you know, our community. Um, so many of the students always ask me, like, you know, do, are, is anybody that taught you still here? I'm like, yeah, a lot of them. Um, Miss Wilson's still here. I didn't realize. Um, oh, yeah. We just found out how old she was the other day. And we were all <laughs> in shock. We were like, we want to look like her when we're older. Yeah, like, but she's she literally has an age. She's she like stuck in, a, I thought she's she stuck was... in a time warp. I mean, <laughs> yeah it's it's I, I so funny um but like so many of them still like keep up with the alums and what they're doing whether it's on social media or you know however they communicate and it's so nice to like talk to them and like they'll know like 
you know, what you're up to, or like, they'll say like, oh, I saw that so-and-so got married, or I saw that so-and-so like got a new job. And it's, they really do care. And that's really nice. And it's been nice to kind of transition into that friend and colleague role for myself, because, you know, I used to, you know, they used to be my teachers, but now, you know, it's, it's such a cool relationship, the way that Gwennett is able to foster this like really small feeling community. Um, but yeah, everybody, there's a lot of, a lot of people still here. That's awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you were in high school and like these teachers were guiding you and all of that, did you like think you were going to go into your current profession or were you kind of like thinking about other majors? I didn't even know that a career in research like mine existed. I felt like I I knew that you could be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher. I didn't know how many careers there even were. Um, and, and at Gwened, I was able to, I took a developmental psychology class with Mrs. Bradley. I think I was a junior and I, I loved every second of that class. I, I, I remember learning about the Piaget stages of development. And I remember we got to do an activity where we took like a mechanical baby doll home for the weekend and you would have to change its diaper if it cried or give it a bottle if it cried. It's all, it was, it was really cool. And I, that just got me fascinated and interested in early childhood development and so even though I went to college feeling like a little bit uncertain about what I wanted to do, I, I just felt like, I don't, I want to really love my career. I want to love what I do. Um, but I, I like a lot of stuff. What, what should I do? Uh, but that class, the developmental psychology class, you know, sparked me to say, hey, maybe I'll take psych. Maybe I'll like explore this a little bit more. And then in, in college, I just fell in love with psychology and neuroscience. So I really credit that, that early high school course with starting this incredible passion of mine. And so you kind of like went into like what compelled you to study like psychology and all of that. But like, what would, can you like just expand on that a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, really in college, understanding how people think was so interesting to me. <laughs> how do people make decisions? Like, how do you develop? How can there be disruptions in this development? And, and what sort of challenges arise? I just was so um, interested in understanding what makes a person a person? Uh, and, and just that question kept me going in terms of um, figuring out research questions. I felt like especially drawn to that side of the field of, well, we don't really know why this happens. We don't know in why this diagnosis XYZ symptom is occurring. And, and it was those unanswered questions um, that really inspired me to to want to learn more and to try to answer those questions. And then bringing in the brain, that was like such a mystery to me and understanding, oh, well, if, uh, you know, this part of your brain is missing, what does that look like behaviorally? And there's so much about the brain we don't know. It's a huge mystery. And, and I think that that unknown was just so intriguing to me. Like, I got to figure it out. <laughs> I got to ask these questions um, that we can answer through science. And, and really the, the desire to learn and the desire to know more is what has, has fueled my research interests. That's, that's amazing. And you kind of like started talking about college. So what was your college experience like? Were there like any classes that made like a super big difference that you enjoyed a lot? I had a fantastic college experience. My favorite part was, was being based in DC. And I really loved having access to all the museums and, and art exhibits and being able to take the metro down to the Smithsonian. And in terms of like my favorite classes, some of my favorite classes, even if they weren't 
psych or science related were the humanities classes where professors would take us down to a museum and, and meet a, an expert who was coming into town. I think being based in the capital, we had uh, like just a revolving door of, of experts coming into the city to give lectures. So I just love that aspect. It was really awesome to be in tune with the culture of the city and, and how that directly fed into my education, even outside of science. I definitely left college being very, um, uh, left college being very like, what's the word? Uh, I left college being really thrilled that I had a liberal arts education, a really well-rounded holistic education where I got to learn um, things about philosophy and, and English, even though those weren't my major and, and weren't things that I specifically wanted to go in with, you know, forward in my career in psychology, but are all things that I can see have made me the person who I am today and, and all in, in one way or another have contributed to my learning. Absolutely. And so you also, you know, I, we talked a little bit about how, you know, small the Gwena community is and how kind of tight-knit we are, um, but then you go to a larger city. What was the transition like for you from coming from Gwynedd to Catholic and really trying to, you know, get used to that kind of environment because it's very different? Oh, certainly. I think when I reflect back, it, it feels pretty smooth in my recollection, um, but I can remember those times of being really, like, lonely, and it feels really isolating, and even though you're in a place with so many new people and it's way bigger than the small town that I'm from, it felt really isolating. Oh, I don't think anybody can really relate to me. Uh, and then over time and building those friendships being like, oh, you know, there, I found a community and I found people who think like I think and um, who, you know, I can have fun with and, and explore with and, and grow together with. So I think finding that my own community at, at college and throughout the DC area was so helpful. And and to feeling comfortable. I think that's really natural. So when I, I like I say, I feel like it went pretty smooth um, and, and all of those bumps along the road don't feel, you know, that's part of the process. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's how it goes. Yeah, and just kind of circling back to like your research and all of that, how did you become interested in researching autism? Like, do you have any like personal like experience with autism or anything like that? I don't have any personal experience with autism, but growing up, I did have a close family member who um, needed some intervention. And so I was very in tune, even as a child with the childhood markers for development. And, oh, I wonder how many words should a kid be saying at two years old? And when should a kid be taking their first step? So these are all questions that I had or knowledge that I had even as a child. And I, so I was very interested in child development um, growing up. Uh, but then autism specifically really came about because I just said yes to every opportunity for research. I knew I loved research. I knew I loved science and psychology and neuroscience. And I needed to figure out where I fit in the field. Where What are the questions that I'm most interested in? Um, it's really important to have a, a specific research question. Um, we all can't just you know ask questions really very broadly. It's important to have a really narrow topic and figure out what is this specific hole or the specific gap in our knowledge that I want to target. And so I, I just said yes to everything. I worked in labs that were understanding family dynamics. I worked in eye tracking labs. Uh, I worked in more cognitive science labs. How do people memorize things and, and how do they learn best? Things like that. And then I did a summer internship at, out in California at the University of California, Irvine, which was an autism research lab. And that really sparked my interest in this diagnosis, especially because it's such a there's such a growing need in this community and or in our country to serve this community. About one in 44 kids in our country have a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. This is a, an incredibly uh, important topic that there just aren't enough people, there aren't enough researchers, aren't enough clinicians, and these are families 
um, across the country that need a lot of support. So I was really aware of the need in this area. Uh, and then further, I just was interested in the questions about development <laughs> and, and autism and this research, you know, working with children who are on spectrum, just satisfy all of my um, desires to learn more and, and kind of to, to push forward in research in this way. So that's sort of how I became interested in autism as a college student. Um, and I've really been able to, to develop that more. I work currently at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia at the Center for Autism Research and work on projects with toddlers through young adults and just supporting um, autistic individuals in their, um, in their life and as they learn new skills. So it's just, it's really rewarding in that way. That's so amazing. Um, what's most, what do you find most interesting about your research? I know you said you work with um, like a kind of a whole age range of like kids. Yeah, I think my favorite part about my research, and I don't necessarily feel like this is just a, a, a chop thing, um, but the way that our research is designed is uh, we're not only just investigating the causes of autism and working on developing effective interventions and supports, but we're also directly serving the needs of the autistic individuals in the Philly community. We're supporting their families directly. We're providing education. We're providing services. But we're, but we're also answering those really big picture questions that can hopefully make a, a, a larger impact in this community. So I think I, what I find most interesting about our research is that these questions are really committed um, to, to supporting families, to supporting autism um, practitioners in the community, and that we hope families can ultimately benefit from our, from our research advances, uh, but we also can provide them those, those clinical and educational support. So it's, it feels like it's the best of both worlds. Yeah, definitely. And do you spe specialize in a specific um, like autis autism diagnosis or do you kind of just work with um, autistic kids around the whole spectrum? That's a great question. Typically nowadays, um, Individual, individuals on spectrum are given a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. We don't typically um, give out diagnoses of things like Asperger's, as sometimes you hear that word in the media. Um, we don't use phrases like high or low functioning autism anymore. We've just learned how inaccurate those are, how misleading. Uh, and so we don't classify autism in that way. So we do think of it as a spectrum. So yeah, I work with kids across the autism spectrum, kids who um, need a little bit more support and kids who need a little bit less. Uh, it's really, there's such a wide variety. And I think that's why they, they it's a spectrum. Um, there's uh, all sorts of needs uh, and all sorts of skill sets across this population. Definitely. And what does a day um, doing your job look like? My favorite thing about my job is just how different every day looks. I remember that being very important to me. Even as a high school student, I was really scared of a, like a routine. <laughs> I was like, I don't want every day to be the same. That'll be so boring. Uh, and something that I still feel like is a little bit true for me. I love change and I love having something different to do every day. Um, so some days we have developmental visits. So I'm working directly with toddlers and their families. They're getting developmental testing done. Um, so that could be quite a, a like a full day visit, just one on one with a family and supporting them. Other days are more administrative, you know, answering emails. Um, some days are more recruitment based. So I'm calling families, I'm telling them about our research, answering their questions. Uh, really something that's so important to my mission and my job, as I sort of talked about earlier, is just this commitment to providing services where we can and getting families connected 
in the community and so that they can be the best supported in their other CHOP departments, getting them connected with other organizations locally. So important to have a support system around you. So I love that I have time in my job to make sure that that can happen for families and, and get them connected in the best way. I also do MRI scans, which is super fun and challenging in its own way with little kids. Um, so, so that looks very different navigating the hospital and, and um, running MRIs on toddlers. So there's such a wide variety of tasks that I do every day. And that's, I think, what keeps it interesting for me. Uh, I, I never know what to expect truly from day to day. Every day looks very different. Absolutely. I think I, I'm sure you are kind of running all over the place. Um, and especially that's interesting that you get the chance to to do this MRIs. I'm sure that's probably really scary for some of those kids to have oh. to go in there. I can only imagine as an adult, I'd be scared, much yes, less a child. So, absolutely. It's so loud. <laughs> and there's all these bright lights. You're in a hospital, which isn't always the most warm and fuzzy environment. Uh, and we do these MRI scans on little kids while they're sleeping. Um, okay. So we're taking the time to make them um, fall asleep naturally in the evening times or at their nap time. So hopefully we don't um, stress them out too much. Um, so it's, it is, it, there are there's certainly challenges that I'm sure you can imagine of not only working with little kids, but working with sleepy little kids. Um, but I love that, that portion of the project of understanding brain development and um, understanding how do these brains develop over time. And, and when we see a kid in six months, how different will their brain look then? And, but, and what possibly could that mean for their behavioral outcomes? Absolutely. Very cool. And that's a perfect segue into the next question, which was, I wanted to know, like, what are some of the biggest challenges of working with this population of children um, on the spectrum? And, and, you know, I'm sure, especially since it's such a wide range of, of, you know, different challenges for the children themselves, like what, what do you find the most challenging about? I think the most challenging portion of, of working with this population is, could be universal to all children. Um, following directions, just variation in temperament, kids get hungry, kids get tired. So there's a lot of um, like variability in their mood. Uh, so definitely I let the kid lead the way. So however they're feeling is what we do and what they wanna play with is what we play with. Uh, and when we have to transition, um, really making that transition as smooth as possible. So um, there's an ele element of like listening to the kids and, and understanding them on their level um, and, and really trying to make the, the the process as smooth as possible. We're a lot of strange faces um, in a new environment. And so I think that can be quite stressful. It would be stressful to me as an adult. <laughs> and so to make that process smooth for the kiddos um, is something that we do our best, but it certainly can cause challenges. Um, but, but I think honestly, the biggest challenge in my position is frustrations that I encounter with our system at large in supporting the autism population. That can be really frustrating to see parts of the system that are broken, but I don't have the power or the ability to fix them. There are a lot of systemic barriers to care, and that can be really challenging uh, when I'm trying to support a family and provide them with resources that they can't access. Uh, it just inspires me more to, to keep working in this field and to try to find ways to fix these barriers. Absolutely. That's great. And yeah, I'm sure that's incredibly frustrating. Um, you know, when you when you really want to help somebody as much as you can, but there's something standing in the way. Um, and did you always want to work with children? Like, I mean, have you always just been somebody who loves being around around kids? You know, how did you how did you end up working with this population? I don't necessarily know if I feel like I ever wanted to work with kids. I just know I wanted to work with people. I love talking. I love chatting. <laughs> I love that social interaction. Um, and I've always loved just supporting and walking with people where they are in life. Uh, and this is sort of where that interest has led me is serving this population. And 
something that's really unique about working with kids is you're not just working with a child, you're working with their family. And so navigating those dynamics with parents, with grandparents, aunts, uncles, siblings, there's a lot of, a lot of people involved in this person's care and everyone uh, in, in their family and friend network just cares so deeply about them and about their happiness and um, which is so wonderful. Uh, and, and it's important to make sure that everyone is informed and connected um, in, in that way and in their care. So I think what I love most about working with kids is that I don't just get to work with kids. I get to work with people of all ages um, and on all types of families. And, and that's what I love the most. Since you've worked with like autistic kids and all of that, do you, is there a certain autism awareness charity you support personally? There is so many incredible um, autism organizations in, based in Philadelphia. I think we're really lucky, um, and CHOP is really lucky um, because of this network in the community. Um, my research is funded by the Philadelphia Eagles Autism Foundation, and it's fantastic, the support that the Eagles have given us. Um, and I love to be involved with the Eagles Autism Foundation as best I can. And I even love, you know, on game day when they're doing the raffle and it's for the Autism Foundation, it just makes me feel so happy and so proud about the work that they're doing. And um, it, it's awesome to see, you know, an iconic organization like the Philadelphia Eagles care so much about this population. And um, it's, it's awesome to be a part of that. And um, they run so many events during the year. We have um, Huddle Up coming up in April and it's very fitting for Autism Acceptance Month. Um, so that's wonderful. I love volunteering for that event and we're very excited gearing up for that. And we have um, hundreds of hundreds of families across Philadelphia come to the link. We have events and activities and games and it's just such a fun day. So I love um, that this is uh, an awesome local organization that is, is uh, supporting this community that's so near and dear to me. Um, but other, other um, organizations, there's an awesome local group called Project Elijah Empowering Autism. It's founded by Eric Williams. And this is a local group that organized basketball clinics for individuals on spectrum and individuals with other developmental disabilities. P individuals on spectrum, it's so, so important to have community and to have that connection. And it can it can feel quite isolating and, and it can feel quite like uh, for, for families that they're alone. And so it's these organizations that really bring people together that that build the sense of community and support. Um, so I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of Project Elijah and all of their great work too. Yeah, most definitely. I My older brother is autistic. So I definitely know like the trouble and like all of that that can go into it. But it is definitely great that like, I know the Philadelphia Eagles have an amazing program. I think, I don't know if you know, Ben, I forget his last name, but um, he was like on the Ellen show and all of that. And he's an autistic adult um, in the, like the Philadelphia area that I know works in with that foundation. So oh God, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not totally not familiar, but I'm certainly going to look that up after this. That's awesome. That's, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, he used to come into the mall all the time and I worked, so I just started talking to him and I was like, okay. Um, but yeah, so that's just amazing. And so just kind of to ask out of all of your accomplishments, because accomplished a lot, obviously, what is something you're most proud of? I think broadly something that I'm really proud of as I as I reflect on where I am today is when I uh, when there's been a time where I've overcome adversity and when there's been um, like a challenge in my life that I've overcome. And so when I think about um, my time when I was completing my master's degree, 
I completed my degree in clinical neuroscience at the University of College London. It was an incredibly challenging program, and I had a lot going on in my personal life that made getting my work done even more challenging as well. So I think back to those times and, and what I was going through. I'm so proud how, how much I grew through that process. Um, and even so, when I look back on that time, that was one of the best times of my life. I had I, I learned so much. I had so much fun. But because it was so incredibly challenging, it made my success all the more rewarding. Um, so I'm just so proud of, of who I've become after that experience. And certainly, I, I contribute all of, all of what I learned and, and all of the ways that I grew into making me the person who I am today. Absolutely. Yeah. And, oh, God. Sorry. That's <laughs> okay. And if you had any advice for your younger self, what would that be? Definitely it's something I still tell myself when I'm feeling a little apprehensive or a little anxious is to feel the fear and do it anyway. I think there were so many, I actually hated how I said that as a question, by the way, that's like my biggest pet peeve. Let me say that again. Um, <laughs> um, I hate when it's like, oh, maybe I'm like, no, it is. Um, Something that I tell myself even now when I'm feeling apprehensive or when I'm feeling anxious is to feel the fear and do it anyway. I think there were some uh, times in my past where I let my fear and anxiety prevent me from taking risks or preventing me from, from doing something. And I really uh, wish that I was able to power through that anxiety or power through that fear and, um, and, and yeah, and, and to, to take a risk and to take, to take a chance on something. Yeah, I think when I look back, there are certainly times where I felt really anxious and that prevented me from taking a risk or from putting myself out there. Um, and I, I try to reflect on those times when now I'm feeling like, oh, I don't think I can do that or, oh, I don't think I'm good enough. Um, so yeah, I should always give it a try. And, and that's something I would tell my younger self to, to feel the fear and do it. Um, and so what would you, you know, looking back, reflecting on your time, you know, from Gwynedd to now, what would you say would be like, if you're talking to a student, let's say you're talking to Autumn right next to me. Um, what's your advice for just making the most out of your experience in high school to kind of prepare you for, for life afterwards? Mm -hmm. There are two, two big things that come to mind. The first is that it's totally okay. And I hope that you can be at peace with knowing that you don't know what you're going to do with your life. And that's very fine. Um, there are so many careers out there. There are so many careers that you don't even know that exist. I truly learn about new jobs all the time. I, wow, I never knew that could possibly be um, a job that someone could have. Um, so it's okay to not know. And then I think the second piece that goes along with that is in order to kind of find out where you fit and to figure out your place, um, it's important to be an advocate for yourself and for your skills and, and for your interests and abilities. Um, I think Unfortunately, there can be times where people might may doubt you or they may not think you're up to the task or, or even if, you know, they may not know that you're up to the task. So it's important to speak up and say, hey, I can do this. I want to do this. I'm interested in this. Uh, and just putting yourself at this table to, to take part um, and, and to, have a, to, to play a role in, in whatever you're interested in and whatever you want to do. I think that's really important to, to be an advocate for yourself. Fantastic. Definitely. Yeah. Any parting words for our listeners? You know, I think my parting words should be for anybody listening who's maybe going through a tough time or, or struggling in their career and what they want to do um, is just not only to know it's okay, but, you know, you have the power to go for it. Um, I'm here. I support you. Feel free to send me a message if you have anything you want to talk about. I'm here for you. 
and you've got this. Uh, Gwinnett has built an incredible community and it's this, the skills that I've had since my time at Gwinnett and the experiences that I've had really continue to fuel me. Um, and I hope that everyone listening also can, can reflect on their time at Gwinnett with the same fondness that I can. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Erin. This has been fabulous and inspirational. And we really appreciate you joining us today. And um, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you.